What's going on, Badger Nation, and welcome to the PPC Den Podcast, your home for over 250 episodes about all things Amazon advertising tips, tricks, and strategies to make your Amazon advertising life a little bit easier and a little bit more profitable. I'm really excited today because on the show is a client of mine, someone I've worked with uh, fairly closely for about a year now, uh, and has an incredible wealth of information related to the decisions as to whether or not to be a seller or a vendor on Amazon. Uh, this is a question I don't know if a lot of Amazon people consider, but there's unique advantages and disadvantages of one or the other, seller or vendor. Um, so it's a really nice conversation about what Adam's experience has been like as a vendor, some of the pros, some of the cons, some of the challenges, and some of the triumphs. Uh, so I thought it was really insightful for me to hear about inventory movements and maximizing sort of workflow in a vendor-based environment. So check it out. It's a good one. And of course, you can get all of our episodes in a Google Sheet with them organized and categorized in the link to the Badger Guide to Amazon PPC checklist in the description of the video. Have a good one, and I'll see you inside the Badger Den. I've launched campaigns and picked keywords. I've got my bits, set placements too. Now bad mistakes. What's going on, Adam? How are things in OKC? They're good, man. Uh, you know, we've we've been doing a lot of business lately, and uh, things things are really good in the in the marketplace right now. Can't complain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very very rare on an Amazon based podcast, which is mostly made for Amazon sellers, mm-hmm. to have a vendor on the show, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, so this is a pretty special day. Uh, it's special for many reasons. Uh, we've been working together for a while now, and mm-hmm. you tune into the show every once in a while. How's it feel to be on the Badger Den podcast? It's, it's a great honor, actually. I was, <laughs> I'm very excited that you guys ever even asked me to come on, and uh, I hope I hope I have some good insights today. That's yes. what I'm really hoping for. How, uh, what would, how does this compare to other achievements in your life? <laughs> this has got to be up there, number it's one. Up there. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right on. So, you know, one thing I remember very vividly, we were on a phone call with me, you, Clement, and Beth. So shout out to Beth. And we were asking you the question, like, why not just be a seller? Like you get, isn't it easier to be a seller? And you went on to explain some of the intricacies of being a vendor. Um, So I think it's really interesting and it could be really insightful for people out there. I mean, we were just talking before the show about a company who was trying to become a vendor and then you got into reasons why "Ah, maybe that doesn't exactly work for you right now. So I guess let's start at chapter one of this story. For anyone who doesn't know, who only took the seller path, can you just explain the vendor path? Like what actually is the difference between a seller and a vendor? So sellers are usually for like, if you have a smaller product offering or if you, it's, it's easily manageable, that's really the path for you is they built seller central for that specific purpose. Is if you are, if you are selling like third-party products or like you are, you are wanting to buy products and compete with, you know, larger manufacturers or whatever it is your, like your goal is for your company. If it is a smaller product selection, or if it is a, you know, 
not a huge investment of time and energy into like this specific business on the side that you have, like maybe Amazon's an augment to your regular business, right? But your product offering is small, like it's mostly built off of product offering. But if you're a vendor, uh, the invite only system is kind of an interesting way of doing it. Uh, it used to only be that way uh, where you have to get invited to be a vendor mm -hmm. after you do well enough as a seller, like you mm -hmm. move up. And that's kind of like the thought process that a lot of people have had is that, oh, if I do well enough as a seller, then they're going to invite me to become a vendor. And then, then ipso facto, I am, you know, we're a huge company comparatively to what we were, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really work like that as a vendor. Uh, you, you basically, as a vendor, you get a lot more services and opportunities to grow the business in different ways. It's also, you get help to manage giant product categories uh, that you don't normally get, you know, that kind of support on, on Seller Central. So they offer you a lot of tools, a lot of opportunities, a lot of, you know, abilities to help your, help your business grow. But it, you know, for us, it's like, we have tens of thousands of SKUs. So like, how, like, and it turns into tens of thousands of ASINs. It's like, how do you manage all that? Well, you could just manage a giant team. You know, if you're on the seller side, you could have a team of 30 people and you could manage all that. Or if you're on the vendor side, you could have a smaller team, you'd still need a team, uh, but you know, you're going to be a smaller in nature. And then you kind of pay for the services of Google to help augment your business so that you don't have, or sorry, for Amazon to augment your business so that you don't have to do all that work yourself and kind of can get some insights from other folks that work at Amazon. I guess that's the it's the payoff. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, I was looking back at some of our content in 2017, I made an infographic sellers versus vendors. And it, 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 it did mention that it was like, oh, you start as a seller, and then they'll eventually invite you to be a vendor, which means you're a gigantic company, you know, you're a Samsung, you're, yeah, you know, you've succeeded. And right. And, you know, at the time, what do you think the pitch was? Or like, what do you think the story is that people have, or it's like vendors are maybe bigger better than sellers, so to speak. Like, what is the pitch to become a vendor? It's really interesting. They just basically tell you uh, that, you know, like they think that, you know, they could help you, you know, create new methods for you to sell products within the Amazon platform. And they think that, you know, you're, they'll try to talk, talk about the struggles that your business has had, or even like look at the past, like, well, you guys have only grown you know, this over this, we think you could grow to this. And it's like a much bigger percentage. And you go, Oh, wow, really? Like, well, how exactly would we do that? And I think that like, they, they try to sell you on the idea that their service is unparalleled, that you'll get access to events that that not seller that sellers don't get necessarily invited to or have to pay way extra for or like, they'll you they'll talk about their vine program or how they how you can BTR, which is a born to run program how you can born to run program things like directly to them and that, you know, you'll get them in the, into the, into the platform immediately. And then you can start selling them quicker. Whereas a seller, sometimes you're limited by, you know, other things, whether it's your software or your warehousing or like how fast you get a product or whatever it may be. Like they'll try to sell you on that for the most part. And it's, it's, they're not wrong. Um, it just depends really on like what, what the goals of your business are and like what you really have time to accomplish. So like if you, are a person that tries to think systematically, like how can I set this up to succeed for myself? And how can I set this up to succeed for our business or our category or our segment or whatever it may be? Uh, you really need to know the factors that are over, that are like overwhelmingly difficult to understand about, you know, market dynamics and like how this is going to function in the future. And like, you're making a lot of like educated guesses and synthesizing, you know, analytics, trying to figure out like what the next thing is. But at the same time, like Amazon's basically trying to tell you that they're going to help you with that. And you're like, oh, great, this will be awesome. Like, I hope that, you know, we can do this. And so, so some of that is positive. And I'd say there's also like some negatives that go along with being a vendor too. So it's not just all like, oh, once you reach the vendor level, then you are set and everyone, you know, at Amazon will start, you know, they will, they will clap and, you know, parade you through the, the Amazon, the streets of Amazon and be like, yes, you are very, very near and dear to our hearts. We love you so much. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, I think what I'm hearing is like the pitch is almost, hey, hey, we're Amazon. We're going to put some skin in the game. We're actually going to purchase your products and then help you after that to be sure that they're successful. And part of their pitch is like, you know, hey, we have all this analytics about the industry. You know, we think that if we purchase, we can purchase X amount from you and help you get to, you know, destination uh, help you get to a new height in your company. So like, that's a pretty attractive pitch. I won't lie. Um, but of course, you know, it, that, that has to come with some, and, and I guess the question is, you know, 
is that realized, so to speak? Like you do, so you do get access to things that maybe sellers don't necessarily get access to maybe a little faster, maybe a little bit sooner because in the eyes of Amazon, vendors are already proven. You know, we talk a lot about how Amazon, when we talk about like Amazon optimization, we say a lot of times like Amazon prefers like brands that are sending signals to Amazon that like, hey, they're in it for the long haul. So being a vendor is sort of a way to, I don't know if it's ever been studied or dissected or algorithmically in any way, but you know, the kind of visibility that you can get as a vendor sometimes could be, you know, you mentioned some programs a little bit more accessible. And the other question I want to ask about it too, is it, is it also a business operations question too? So, you know, if a company like basically bulk orders, right? Because they're bulk ordering from you and that changes like business financial structure quite significantly. Um, is it also a, a question on like business operations? Like how does the e-commerce company want to operate? Yeah. If you're selling like single units of things, it becomes not difficult, but it becomes exponentially complicated. So Amazon has a lot of different services. One of them is a bulk services program where you can sell by the pallet or by the case or by a hierarchical structure of products. And so you think, oh, cool. Like I'll just sell this by, uh, you know, I'll sell this by a, uh, what's it called? A, a pallet of, of this or multiple pallets of this. And then I'll take advantage of that structure. But the thing that Amazon doesn't necessarily tell you all the time is that they want discounts for buying in that bulk. So like if they'll like, oh, we need a 3% discount for this and a 1% discount for this. Like for instance, if you're doing like full truckload, they want a discount for that. And they'll only do full truckloads for like for one item specifically. So like if they're buying a full truckload of just one product, great, because that's the, pro- that's the process for you. If you give them a small discount for that, it's probably worth it because you're saving a lot in the over and the over. Uh, guess in the long term by not having to house all that stuff in your warehouse and they're housing it there and they're selling through it so quickly that they just need as much of it as they can possibly get. Like that's a great business solution for you. Uh, but if you're selling like, you know, one thing at a time and a case back of one, uh, then yeah, it's, it's, you're not going to, I mean, you know how many, how many units it would take to fill an entire truck or even to fill a tire pallet. It's like, that's not always the, you know, the method that they want to receive products in. So from an operational standpoint, it's difficult too, because now we're talking about forecasting and we're talking about uh, what your EDI level is. So like uh, some places have EDI is electronic data interchange and it's like systems speaking to systems for data. So it's like, okay, um, do you have this product in your warehouse and your product, your, you know, your, whatever your ERP system is, will will tell you like, oh, we have this amount of units, uh, you can get this many right now. And they'll say, okay, great, I will, I'm ordering that. And it'll say, cool, and it will acknowledge those things. And there's like this entire number system process for doing that. Well, if you don't have a person that's already like in a EDI position, it's going to be really difficult to learn that. I don't know if you could necessarily hire somebody to just do that like one time and that's it. Because we get like, you know, back and forth with systems where our systems are not understanding each other. And that happens... I think as you know, working with API, it doesn't always work in a straightforward way. That just is kind of how technology is. Like you have to program almost every single potential outcome so that when it does happen, that it knows that so that the system knows what to do rather than air out. Like mm-hmm. is, is that a isn't that a fair is that a fair thing of mm-hmm. how you of how you normally deal with API? Uh, yeah, the API is a sometimes you'll ask a question and it won't answer you and you have to ask it and it won't tell you that it didn't answer you. So you have to like ask again, you have to remember to ask again. It's very frustrating. See, I know that you know the API better than I'll ever understand it, but it's like one of those things where like, I understand that there's a lot of pitfalls in it and you're like trying to avoid those. And it's the same thing with EDI. You want to make sure that all your order acknowledgements, all of the things Mm -hmm. that it's saying that it's going to be able to provide that you actually are operationally able to provide. So if you say that you have 10,000 units available and you don't, uh, well, then that's a problem because Amazon's going to keep asking for that amount of amount of stuff, and then they'll charge you if you if you don't actually get it to them on time or even in full at all. So that's a big operational concern. EDI electronic data interchange is something that uh, I hadn't heard of previously. So it almost makes me ask the question: like, I, I have to imagine vendors and companies that op- operate at scale are going to have software that I've never even heard of. Um, where you're 
inventory is talking to many different places to ensure stability. Would you say this is like a unique challenge just to vendors? I don't know if it's unique to vendors. I know that vendor almost I know that almost every vendor probably deals with it in some way or another. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can also connect to API as well, but you have to think of, you know, manufacturing companies or even companies that have just massive warehouses for products that they have to have like an ERP system to manage their their products and inventory and then the EDI is basically the the method of which to explain that to other people that are buying from you so that you don't spend all this time doing manual orders constantly. So like, I, I can't tell you right now that I don't really look at the POs coming through like Vendor Central very often because if I did that, I mean, it would take forever. Like it would take so much time. And one of the things that Amazon's actually really helped us with is by setting uh, thresholds for certain things. Like we can say to Amazon, hey, we would like a weight threshold and we don't want it to be over this amount because that's how many pallets that we can put in each truck, mm-hmm. right? And they go, okay, well, it's not gonna be exact to the pallet but that's going to be close enough to where we're filling the majority of the thing of the of the one truck without having going over that limit. So then what it'll do is it'll make a secondary PO which will work better with EDI. So like it'll make one request for one truck rather than you having to make multiple requests from one PO for multiple trucks. I know that that sounds like something that you wouldn't necessarily think is a, like a, you know specifically a problem, but like when you're dealing with uh you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in and you know inventory and orders from POs like you would rather be as automated as possible rather than having to request multiple trucks at one time. So like EDI helps with that. Like the vendor uh, managers help you know set thresholds like by weight, you not necessarily by pallets because it's impossible to tell you know from Amazon side like what what equals a pallet. Even if we told them the pallet information, which we do, they're not really great at saying well this will equal twenty six pallets on my truck that is a perfect half truck load. Uh, we'll we'll just use that. Like great. Well, that would, that would simplify things greatly if you guys could do that. But I mean, how you know, it'd be really hard to do that just based off of the dimensions that we give them. So uh, it's really nice to have that uh, as, you know, like, if, you know, Amazon helps us, we help them, you know, we come to a better understanding of like how we can do business together. And it saves both parties time and money in solving for like these massive POs that are hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, 26 pallets or more or however many pallets it does, like 52 or however many fit in a truck, double double stacked or single stacked. That's the type of thing that vendors have to think about a lot is like, how does our product get to the user? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's tough uh, because you have a lot of things to overcome. So to sort of conclude that, it almost seems like if you are a seller, uh, consider or, or even maybe you're not even on Amazon yet, what would you say the biggest problems that are solved by becoming a vendor are? Well, I mean, op- operationally, that's probably the, the the big one. But the other ones is like, if you don't want to have to deal with like directly selling to the customer and then having Amazon do that for you, that's pretty nice. It doesn't necessarily work that way. I know that that's kind of how it's marketed, but it's like uh, the thing that it's great working with Amazon is that they're, they'll they'll continually try to work to get better pricing so that they can stay relevant for all the products that you are selling. So if you're you're a company and you're selling products like as a vendor, they kind of, I don't want to say it's like buy box manipulation, but it's more of like, they try to make sure that they have the best price, the lowest mm-hmm. price that they can possibly have so that they will always have the buy box as Amazon, you know, as Amazon mm-hmm. is a company underneath it. And yeah. Amazon, it's sold by Amazon. It is, it is, it is shipped by Amazon. Like that's what they want. It's the easiest way. And it creates a lot of, it creates a lot of uh customer, buy-in because like if you're on Amazon just as a regular user and you see that underneath the name, you're like, oh, I will get this in two days, like, or else because Amazon's always good about getting me that product within two days. So if you need it, like Amazon will get it to you quickly. Uh, There's usually never an issue with stuff like that, but there's a lot of buyer confidence in the Amazon system. If Amazon sells something, you are almost certain that if you need to return it, they can do it instantly. I know that they, for sellers, for example, like you have to have it set up to where if a seller is want, for if a customer wants to return something to a seller, they have mm-hmm. to do specific things where they're like print out the label and put it on a box and take it to UPS or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if like if you're buying it directly from Amazon, you actually can just take whatever the item is and UPS will box it up for you and send it back for you. That all they need is the yeah. barcode that you give them on your phone. It makes it like ten times easier to do, but you don't have to deal with all this ex- these extra steps. 
And so people have a lot of confidence buying in, you know, buying into the Amazon program, no matter what, like whatever product they're selling, you, like, you have confidence buying that. So it's a yeah, huge, I, big part yeah. of like being a seller versus a, a vendor is like vendor gets that name, amazon.com sold mm-hmm. by Amazon, shipped by Amazon. People feel very confident that it mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to make buying decisions. Yeah. I'd love to do a study of like tens of thousands of ASINs uh, SKUs yeah. and, and, and sort of see what maybe I, I've, you know, I, I imagine I imagine some customers may not notice, but I imagine there are some customers who definitely do notice. It's like, oh, it says sold by Amazon. I can trust this. I've never heard of the other company, you know, the other company that says sold by so-and-so. I've never heard of that. Um, That could be interesting. You know, you mentioned pricing, which I have to imagine has to be one of the biggest challenges for vendors, you know, because one thing that sellers can do quite easily is, you know, price optimization on the fly where it's like, oh, what what happens if I change my listed price one way or the other. But are there some limitations around that when you are a vendor? There are so many limitations around that as a vendor, like more that I could potentially name in an hour long podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like a lot of the, a lot of the interesting things about like the pricing structures that Amazon has is they'll, they'll use a lot of different metrics that are internal metrics to their systems. There's ones that they don't tell you about as a vendor. There are some that they do tell you about. Like one that they do tell you about would be net PPM, which is uh, pure profit margin or product profit margin. Either way, it's like basically the same thing. But they use that type of metrics to say, well, we're making this amount of money off of these products that you sell. We would like that percentage to be X, Y, or Z. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, I would like my, my PPM to be high too, because that means the more that I, I sell to you and the more that you're selling, it incentivizes Amazon to sell more. Mm-hmm. So like that may affect organic rankings that may not affect organic rankings. They will not specify that it affects it, but I would assume for right. the most part that it does affect it because like, why else would it be such a, you know, in a, you know, an important metric for them to get other than like making sure that they're making money on their back end. So like if you have a uh, co-op agreements with them or whatever, like you're, they're already getting money back and rebates from you, which is, that's how most businesses work from the industrial distribution model. But when you're working as a seller, like you can change your pricing on the fly every single day. When it comes to working and getting your pricing changed with a vendor manager, if the price is lower, you can just literally put it in Vendor Central and it'll change basically within the 24 hour period that you, since you entered it. When you want to increase the price, that's really the problem. It's not decreasing prices, it's increasing prices. When you increase your pricing as a vendor, uh, you have to jump through a lot of hoops. And I mean like, it takes, I think at the at the longest time that it's ever taken has been eight months for us to get a price change on an item. And a seller would probably, is probably sitting behind the, you know, listening in their car right now thinking to themselves, that's an insane amount of time to wait for changing prices. I can just change my price right now and I'll be fine. Uh, but it doesn't work that way for, for vendors because, you know, Amazon wants to make sure that they're making that percentage for themselves and that, you know, that the, the you know, it's a co- it's a cost-effective method of, of, you know, a checks and balances system. So it has to actually go through a process where your vendor manager, and now they've actually changed this recently to where not only a vendor manager has to approve it, it actually has to get approved by, I guess, I don't know if, I don't know what they call themselves, like T6 or T7s or like level six, level seven people have to like, so like a VP will actually look at, at some point, it'll take a look at your pricing to actually make a decision on. And this is more of a beta program that they've just implemented for, for vendors. So not every vendor has it, but as you can imagine, it's difficult to navigate because it's, it's changed. Uh, it's changed every six months that I've been working with as a vendor in the last two years mm. for how we do, how we do new pricing. Yeah. I mean, so far that's one of the biggest uh, cons because I, I saw somewhere like a, like a marketing stat that like, if you were to list all the activities that you could ever do to influence your conversion rate, pricing is the easiest one to do because like, if you consider it versus like optimizing a headline or taking your product photos or recording videos or doing anything else, it takes, you know, 35 seconds to go in and, you know, reduce the price a dollar, uh, or increase the price, you know, 40 cents, um, to, to try to influence conversion rate. You know, it's, it's interesting to just to sort of, circle back the PO system in general, you mentioned it earlier, but that's something that has to be very foreign to a lot of sellers um, who, you know, buy inventory and then sell them one at a time. 
if someone, if there is a seller who is considering becoming a vendor, like how does that change someone's business to go from selling these one at a time to getting a purchase order for, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly know how many units it would be for, but I imagine they're, they can be quite large. So as a vendor, you have to cover, you have to have coverage across the entire country. Mm-hmm. So like you can't, it's more of just like, it's not just in one place. Like I can't just sell to, you know, New York, Texas, Florida, and California. Mm-hmm. It has to be in more, more places than just those four warehouses. So like you get POs constantly for areas like Nampa, Idaho. And you're thinking to yourself like, okay, um, you know, that's kind of out there. It's, I think it's outside Boise, not quite sure. But the, the point of it is, is that like, you have to like have coverage in these warehouses pretty much everywhere and you get POs like, I mean, you can set up a, a cadence for it where it comes in like one time a week or two times a week or whatever. And sometimes like some vendors actually don't have any uh, say over when that happens. So if you're big enough, you might be able to kind of swing it that way. There's a lot of exceptions for vendors, depending on how large you are. If you're like a smaller vendor, you may not be able to get those kind of deals. And if you're a bigger vendor, they're kind of like, oh yeah, you just want it one time a week. Like, yeah, one one order a week would be great. Thank you. Uh, I'd like it to be on Monday. I would like it to be early in the morning. Like I would like these things. And they're like, okay, well, we can kind of, we can kind of try to do that. So they do work with you a lot to, to kind of figure out what's best, you know, the best, best service level for you. But at the same time, uh, one of the difficult things about getting these POs is that you have to imagine like covering the entire country, right? There are a lot of <laughs> problematic issues with that because you'll you'll start looking at like the the amount of items that you're selling to those regions and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, will they make that same large order next week to, you know, Seattle or, you know, wherever it may be, uh, Nampa or like Idaho again. It's like, are they going to buy that again anytime soon? Like how fast are they selling out of that region? And so you're trying to almost do like geographical analytics, which I will say that the Vendor Central program does not necessarily tell you that. So it's more of like your ability to track that on your own. And so you have to like create reports for these things, which is one of like the biggest limit. It's uh, outside of pricing. The next biggest limitation from being a vendor would probably be the reporting. Uh, like, because like, I, as I've explained this to you, just even through POs, you're like, okay, it's gotta be a massively difficult um, operation mm-hmm. to track every order of every product to every place. And then trying to figure out when will they at that place order again? And in what quantity they order? And you're like, oh, so like anybody that's thinking of this right now will say, well, why don't you just go in to your analytics and look at mm-hmm. their sure. uh, P70 report for forecasting and you can just forecast the total number that you need and then you'll be fine. And it's like, yeah, but like Amazon has a lot of buying signals, as you already know, working in the, you know, the, the advertising game, which is, you know, part of part and parcel to being a vendor as well. You already have to deal with like all these buying signals, but like imagine being in a place where like you start selling a product and you've, you've done a really great job on your advertising. You start selling hundreds of units a week. Amazon will offset that and be like, well, um, we've seen this rate grow by over 100% or whatever it is that specifically, whatever buying signal they're specifically looking at, let's buy 100% more okay. you know, inventory. And if you're trying to plan on having 100% more inventory than you had, that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And it's like, and what if it slows down? What if it was like just during a period of time where the market was like, oh, there's maybe there's a competitor that's out, you know, out of inventory on mm-hmm. a product. And then your product take, takes over that spot on the organic ranking. And then you're the only one that's advertising at the time. And, you know, there's a lot of anomalies that happen and now manage that times 15,000 ASINs. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can imagine that the, the, the scalability of that ability of your ability to do that is incredibly difficult. And then again, now you have to check when will, you know, Nampa, Idaho be making another order of this product. Mm-hmm. Why are there so many buying out of that region? Is there an issue or like, you know, somebody else is out of that product in that region. And so you have to think not only regionally, but you have to spe- specifically think of like ASIN by ASIN and like the growth that you're seeing from week to week and month to month. And you have to like figure out a way to report all that because although you can see it in Amazon system, you have to also track it because after about six weeks, like the weekly reports go away from you know, each week you lose one more week so it's like you can check that but you kind of have to have a really like an operationally savvy team that's able to like you know go through these things figure them out understand the analytics understand what amazon's trying to buy what they're trying to do like are you a niche in the market or are you is this a new thing is it an anomaly is there some sort of other market dynamic going on there's just so many different you know metrics to track 
on top of POs, which is just another thing that you're like, okay, well, that's on top of all. I, I can see where I'm selling my products to, but I have to like create a list geographically of where that goes, how that functions, what what statistics are telling me what, and then be able to prepare the amount of like, you know, your supply chain team to be able to manage that. And as a vendor, that is uh, an incredibly difficult thing to do if you're, you know, making tens of millions of dollars a year on like, you know, hundreds and or maybe let's just say thousands of products. You're getting into this cycle where managing the process for figuring all this out simultaneously while also just doing all the other things that you're trying to accomplish, like, you know, ads would be a great one, for example, like you're still trying to do advertising on top of all this organizational structure that you've had to build for this. Like, and as a seller, like you just, you have the inventory you have when you sell out of it, you sell out of it. And then you're also forecasting as best you can, but you're not receiving a, you know, a hundred, a hundred percent increase in sales for a specific item. And let's say that your data is not great as a vendor where you have the wrong uh, unit of measure set up. This has happened to, you know, me before uh, working with different companies where it was supposed to be uh, set up as a case of 144 and instead it was set up as a case of 12. So they thought they were getting a really great deal on it. Um, and they, you know, ordered, I think over a million dollars of one product. And there's like, well, we don't have that many of these on hand for just one order day. Like if you order like, you know, on a Monday, it's like, Hey, yeah, we need like a uh, 200,000 units by Friday. Thanks. And you're like, well, we don't warehouse that many. There's, it's not it's not possible for us to get that to you. And even if we did warehouse that many, I mean, how are we supposed to tell our, all the rest of our customers that are buying it through our different distribution sources? Like, how are we supposed to tell them like, okay, well, we're out of this product for the next six months because we just used up all of the, the amount of inventory that we were planning on having for the rest of the year. So it's stuff like that where it's, uh, you know, it becomes vastly complicated over time and it it's very difficult to track. So you have to like create your own systems to, to solve a lot of these problems because Amazon's not going to necessarily do that for you. I feel like you just made a case for the last few minutes to not be a vendor, that it's logistically more challenging. But think of this, like I don't have to touch any of those orders. Like I don't have to physically handle a single PO. I don't have to actually, I don't have to do the geographic analytics. I don't have to do the year over year checks on all this inventory. Like if we have the inventory, we have it. If we can fulfill it, we can fulfill it. But if not, it just like, you know, we can cancel it and just say like, you know what, we'll, we'll keep trying to fill this at a better rate. And, you know, we'll, we'll get that one. We'll get that one when it comes in again in two weeks or three weeks or next week or a month from now. Like our goal is to like, you know, be operate operationally, you know, equitable for the things that we're trying to do. So like, I could argue that like, if you're a seller, like you have to manual, you have to manually handle a lot of this stuff yourself or use programs that do this for mm-hmm. you. Like you could use, like, for, for example, using like the ad badger software to help automate a lot of your ads, super helpful, right? That's something that's like, okay, great. This is going to help me figure out this where I don't have to touch this every day. I can have a smaller team. I don't need everybody helping me all at once uh, to do this. And so as a vendor, like from an organizational standpoint, I don't need a team of 50 people to manage all this stuff. Like I can kind of just manage it as it goes and like see these things over time and react slowly. Um, in the military, they use a phrase called uh, <laughs> slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yeah. And so it's like, I would rather go slow and smooth because yeah. smooth is still the fastest way for me to sell my products. Mm-hmm. And like, if the, if the process itself is smooth, and we all know what it's going to be. It's like, okay, well, we didn't have that this week. We'll get them next week. You know, like we'll just keep getting out there managing this as we can. But like, I'm not gonna have to geographically check all these places, but like I'm moving from as a seller to a vendor, like those are probably huge concerns that you have where you're like, oh my gosh, how does this person manage all these things? Like, how does this company do this? Where it's like, oh, well, actually, you know, we don't have to do all of this. We can just do the best that we can do with the time that we have, you know, each week and maximize, you know, the other things that we're working on, like ads or, you know, content adjustments or A plus mm-hmm. content or, or EDI feed fixes, like any of this stuff, like even, even changing like, you know, our, our fill rates by three or 5%, that'd be a much bigger investment of my time than trying to like fix, you know, try to anticipate the market, you know, conditions for this type of one segment that we're seeing growing a ton. Like, it's a lot easier for me to do that, like focus on other things than, you know, the overall health rather than just like one specific category. I think my last question is is focused on the marketing side of it. You know, imagine, you know, you brought someone in house who's in charge of PPC, SEO, organic ranking, all of that, a cost, advertising a cost, total a cost, that kind of thing. People generally have m- way more experience with sellers due to the there's just a lot more 
individual sellers than there are vendors that they probably bump into. So I guess like if you are doing marketing for sellers and then you get hired by a vendor and you will do marketing for them, do you think there's any specific considerations that that marketer needs to be making when marketing for vendor-based products versus seller-based products? Yes. uh, You have to be incredibly discerning on Mm. a myriad of different topics when it comes to marketing. (laughs) Like, so even okay so like like say i'm i am who i am right and i am trying to find a ad agency to work with mm-hmm. that specifically understands the difficulties of being a vendor and also understands the intricacies of amazon mm-hmm. that completely narrows my search into a very small subset of of companies that could even manage or even handle that type of request so like if you're just like a seller you can just hire I want to say anybody, but like if you can, you can hire a lot of different companies because they're, those places are used to working with, you know, the, the sellers, the seller central side, they work, they have an API connect, like they have all these different, you know, options for like tools and things that they have already built for sellers. When it comes to vendors, like not a lot of that stuff is available. Like there is no API connection to vendor central uh, that you can, you can use the seller central one as a connect and it can pull reports from vendor central, but it can't necessarily manage the data from the platform itself. There's not a, it's not a one-to-one API link, right? So it's like getting it third, third party from pulling reports on a regular basis. There's companies like uh, reason automation that does this where it'll pull the reports for you and create like a dashboard that cool. will allow you to view data in a way that's like, okay, you've aggregated my reports for me. Thank you. That has been mm-hmm. super helpful. But as a marketer, like, it's really hard to find a company that would even be able to help you as a vendor because like your problems are huge. Like, like when I, if I asked you, if I was like, Hey, Michael, can you restructure my accounts real quick for, for Mm -hmm. Amazon? You'd be Mm -hmm. like, well, how many campaigns do you have? And it's like thousands and you're like, okay, I'll do 10 a week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, It's exactly you. Like I could do 10 a week uh, on my own and I have to, I have to restructure it manually because like Mm -hmm. it probably has a lot of parts and pieces and other places where, there's things that are connected that maybe shouldn't be. And you kind of have to like break it down to its base level. So like as a marketer, like trying to understand the difficulties of, of, I know I've used the word market dynamics like four times, but it's like, you really have to understand markets and marketplaces, right? Like how do I sell on Amazon and what are the first steps for things for me to do? Like when I stepped into the current role that I'm in now, uh, I had a, had a really hard time grasping like the previous work that had been done because like, I was like, okay, well, I think that they did this and I think that they did this and I'm not exactly certain like what, where this is going to. And so if I'm, if I can tell a story here, I, I try to figure out what can I do? Like, what can I spend 80% of my, my time on? That's going to give me like the, the biggest or, you know, the biggest benefit to the work that I do. And it's like, okay. So a lot of the things that I had to figure out first was content. Like, what is my conversion rate at? Like some of these products convert at a very high rate. That's great. Some of my products convert at an incredibly low rate or don't convert at all. How do I fix that? And so like, I can go one listing by, you know, ASIN by ASIN through these listings, or I could try to find a general problem overall with each, mm-hmm. with each listing. And what's like the general problem with all of them. It's like, okay, well, they need better, uh, you know, features and benefits or content or, uh, you know, naming, or they need, you know, all these, you know, they need better keywords. They need, they need to be in the right category. Sometimes Amazon as a vendor, they will categorize your stuff uh, in categories that is not yours. Like they'll put like, oh, this is uh, for this. And you're like, no, no, that doesn't, that's not what that does. And it's like, cool. We put it in there. You're like, no, please don't do that. Don't put that in that category. And it's like, okay, it's already done though. It's like, yeah, but can you move it back? And they're like, no, we couldn't, we can't do that. And you're like, okay. Um, so I'm really trying to figure out the best way to do this. And like, I have to do this for, you know, 10,000 plus ASINs. How do I do it? And you're like, again, like you're trying to find like bulk problems and solve mm-hmm. those problems. So like if I was a marketer and I was giving advice to anybody is like, try to find the correlating data that tells you like what your biggest opportunities for change are and then see what the investment of time is going to be to fix those and then fix those like as you can over time. So like for us, it's been, you know, a systematic, you know, redistribution of our efforts every year where we're like, I think we can do this. I think this will, will generate X amount of dollars in revenue. And so even though we've seen like double digit growth, you know, year over year for the last like two years uh, that I've been at this, at this current position, it's like, we know that if we put the effort in and we put the work into the things that we're working on, that we're going to see that benefit. But as a marketer from the outside, I think it would be very hard to see that when you first step into a, uh, you know, a scenario like that, where you're like, I don't really know what to do here. I don't know what the biggest, the biggest gain is. And then 
on top of that, having a partner like AdBadger, right? It's like, we can have you worry about some of those things. I have, I can outsource the things mm-hmm. that I can outsource because I don't want to have to build an entire internal Amazon team of that's just doing ads uh, if I don't have to. And maybe eventually I will. And that that's something that I'll have to, you know, I'm kicking the can down the road on that one. But, you know, the point is, is that like you really want to work with people who are experts in, in what they do. And you have to find those places. And it's very hard as a vendor to find uh, places that really understand the the deep details of what you're going through as a vendor, the problems that you're running into, like inventory levels, forecasting reports, uh, you know, all these different, you know, like problems of even like your, your sales are really high, but you've seen a drop off of your top five products. It's like, well, I mean, my my sales are high, so I'm doing a great job on everything else, but maybe I should put more focus on my top five products. And I know that seems like the easiest thing to do, but it's like, well, maybe there's more competition for them. Maybe there's, you know, I'm, I'm competing with like a Chinese vendor who's replicated my product, which I'm telling you a lot of Amazon sellers probably deal with a lot. Uh, they probably have to deal with, you know, a lot of competition. I, I work for uh, one company and they're very well known. They have uh, TV ads and everything like that. Uh, but they started as an Amazon brand, uh, like, not, like not a branded Amazon product, but they were started on Amazon. And uh, it was like within, I think within one and a half years, there was already a competing product. It was from the exact same manufacturer that they used in China. Ouch. And they had to like compete with themselves basically with the exact same product Ouch. they had because there's like no in, you know intellectual property type issues mm-hmm. there. So it's like now they're on Amazon competing with themselves from a product they created that was specific to them. And they're like, how do I outmarket me? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I have to like, oh, what can we do to improve our products? Like they so you got into this mode of like, how can we fix this? How can we solve this? And it's like, that's the exact kind of attitude you need. Like you need to be able to like kind of go in there and say, what can I do better? What can I do better than my competitors? And I know that that seems like super generic advice, but when you're working as a vendor, like there's a million things that could be wrong. And it's about like pinpointing the ones that you see the most often, like conversion rates are low for this. Why is that? Why is this segment down? Why is this category like doing what it's doing? And like, you're really like in charge of figuring out what that data is yourself and then making big leaps on understanding how I can solve those problems or how we as a team or as a company can figure out okay, we need to be able to understand the the difficulties of working with this and then overcoming these problems. And then after we've done that, like make sure that it's a systematic fix overall that now we have new products coming out that we can just do this and this is our new system. So it's 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 uh, it's complicated, but like, again, finding the right partners is, is huge. Finding the right people is huge. You, it's like, you don't have to have had worked with a vendor previously. You just have to be a really analytically minded person and be able to kind of problem solve your way through the majority of the tasks that you're going to run into because there's no way to automate anything <laughs> or I shouldn't say anything, most things in Amazon Vendor Central. So you're going to have to just do your best to, to find where you can go. I also think working with, as a marketer myself, working with different types of businesses, so sellers, vendors, wholesalers, um, white labelers, um, all different name brands, niche products, novel products that no one's searching for, uh, commodity-based products, like working with all these different types of situations is something that like advanced marketers with lots of experience gain. And you're able to sort of approach the vendor with the best learnings from sellers. You're able to approach sellers with the best learnings from vendors. And like, there's, there's definitely information that I've learned from working with you and operating, uh, you know, with large SKU sets and working with companies that do product orders, you gain a lot of information that like benefits you as a marketer, like filling, broadening the view of just marketing in general online. And that's been one of the best benefits. Uh, so I would recommend anyone who's a marketer out there to like, go look for opportunities to work with a vendor, uh, because I think that they'll get exposed to a whole different set of decisions that sellers don't play with that it could be really beneficial towards the growth of that individual marketer. So it's, it's been really valuable and you yourself, you know, to end, to end focused on you, you yourself have a gigantic amount of experience. You've been an Amazon seller. You've been an Amazon vendor. You've got experience with Google ads. You've got experience running your own Amazon ads. Um, and surely, you know, the amount of information in your head is, is, gigantic because of all these different experiences. Um, what do you think the next frontier for you is? 
So we've, we've really gotten into AI recently, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to product content, but, um, and we were talking about this before the show a bit and it was totally off topic from what we were talking about today. But uh, a lot of the, a lot of the AI that I think is kind of going to develop within the next five years will be much more data driven. And like, it's not about the data that it has. It's about forecasting for new data, like mm-hmm. making, making insights into how you can take analytics and say, well, this is what we've seen, but this is what's going to happen next. And I think humans, uh, I shouldn't say humans, like I'm not one. I think mm-hmm. we as humans, uh, <laughs> maybe that's better. Uh, we as humans have a problem where we're like, we're, we're so focused on like maybe what's happened or what we think might happen that we don't really open our minds to other things. And one of the best things about like a chat GPT, for example, is like, hey, give me four other ideas that are like this or four other outcomes that could potentially happen based off of this, synthesize this data, tell me what it means. And then let's go from that data set and see if there's like, okay, find five more, five, five more. It's like, you just keep looking into it, like kind of figuring out like what, what is going to make the biggest difference. Cause like one of the things that I like doing is I like looking at product margins a lot. And I got to say to myself like, okay, so what, what could be my potential outcome? Like how much extra money can I spend on advertising this product? Because when I sell this product, it brings in X amount of percentage more than any other product that I sell or whatever. And when you think about product margins, I know that this is pretty basic in the sense that like, oh, you sell more stuff Mm -hmm. that gives you the best margin. Yeah, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, it is obvious. But like I've had to create systematically ways of making that a a not just part of our business, but a focus of our business. So like I take all sorts of products that haven't sold previously and I go, let's see if we can sell these ones a little bit better because I think that the margins on them actually make up the difference. So like what are we not doing in this marketplace that we could be doing? And if I could, if I could get into the future, go to like, you know, data GPT and be like, Hey, can you, can you take a look at all these and tell me where I'm not doing a great job? Because like, I feel like looking at a chart is great. And like seeing the, you know, the numbers come in overall is great. Or even looking at the numbers on product to product week over week, month over month. That's great. But like, there is a lot of stuff that I'm missing and it's like, cause I'm, I'm, I am a human. Like I can't, you can't, I, I can't aggregate all this data together, especially as a vendor. And we talked about this being a specific issue that vendors deal with a lot is like, how do you aggregate all the data that you have from, from Amazon? And how do you turn that into something that you can use? And so like every single vendor probably has a completely different idea of how this exactly works. And it's something that I think Amazon really struggles with too. Uh, I'll give you an example. And this is probably more into your, your expertise level but I asked Amazon a few days ago, I said, hey, um, I know that you guys just created the products beta tab for, for like being able to kind of see how well a product is done, like just by itself throughout all the advertising on, on Amazon. And the funniest part is that like Google's had that for a hundred years yeah. and they have that through <laughs> analytics. And it's like, they've had that since like analytics started forever ago. And it's like, I'm asking Amazon for like this really basic thing. Like, Hey, can I get more information mm-hmm. on how my product sold last year? Like, cause I know that you guys still have this data. Can I have access to it? And the person at Amazon responded with like, um, you could technically, but that's not something that they built into the system because of their infrastructure of the coding like they'd have to like redo the old version of it in order to work with the new version of it. But I'm trying to tell them that like, this is really important to me. Like if I could figure out what I did last year or what was working in the market last year based off of the ads, and I could take it based off of like, you know, a sample size of ad spend, you know, and, and just like do it within certain periods of time and then like compare them to one over another. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I probably could find these like awesome opportunities mm-hmm. even within ads that I could say, Oh man, like if we did the same thing during the same period of time or figured out like maybe what the, you know, the market conditions were at the time of that. Cause like we have like pricing software that we look at and say like, Oh, maybe it was cause it was lower or higher during this period of time. And our competitors were higher or lower during this time. And you can just put all that stuff. in. like my, my goal would say like, it's like one day, like being able to take all that data that I have, not just from Amazon, my own data that I've taken. And then like from, you know, like pricing software and then like spitting that into like mm-hmm. a data GPT type deal and saying, tell me where I miss it. What am I yeah. missing when I give you all of this data? There's definitely something that like, mm-hmm. I know what the big stuff is. Like, here are the things that I see. Here are my inputs and my insight. Like you, can you look at this, you know, computer and figure out where I am mm-hmm. missing stuff? And I'm going to tell you that like probably within the next five years, they will figure that out. 
Uh, it's still going to need the input from a person at this point in time, but like for at least for the next five, 10 years, maybe. Uh, but then at some other point, it's going to learn uh, how to do that without us. And I think that that's going to be really interesting. That's like the next frontier of e-commerce is, for me is like taking that data and then now being able to do something with it. Because that's like, absolutely, yeah, I think data is the important thing. And then the figuring out what to do is like, that, that'll be like the next step of AI, like afterwards, like, can you automatically do all this mm-hmm. all my stuff? And it's like, great. Yeah, I'm just going to go into Amazon ads. I'm going to change all this stuff for you. I'm going to automate this. I'm going to automate that. I'm going to do all these things with like, like, like software, like AdBadger is created, like, interface with it please and then once we do that it'll be you know it'll be the new wild west of ecom because you'll be like oh man the people that are using this are like a million years ahead mm-hmm. of everybody who's not using it yeah you know i i had the same thought uh change for me recently we're like six years ago seven years ago ten years ago you know we would try to do like google analytics it just sort of tells you the like the last step it's like oh, okay like people purchase this stuff from you. It's like, okay, great. And it's like, can I go up that funnel and like see what happened before that? And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not. Like cookies are going to get lost. You can't really yeah. uh, connect all the dots, but like they try like, okay, this many people found you through Facebook ads and this many people ended up purchasing. And I always said like, you know, imagine you had like every single action, every single potential customer ever took everything that was searched, everything that was clicked on, the time spent per page, like how far they scrolled on every page, uh, all the analytics that led from all the purchase, like it'd be a mountain of data. And I, I used to say like, even if you could track everything, it'd be so overwhelming, you wouldn't know what to do with it. Similar to what you mm-hmm. described, where it's like you have all this, 100%. Da- all these data sources that are everywhere that like aren't talking to each other. So like the data is out there kind of, but like it's like too hard to pull it all together. That's definitely like a step that will be conquered over the next few years where it's like, okay, like all this data is everywhere. I can like now connect all the dots and pull out some insight. Uh, Like that I think is definitely a new frontier for digital marketing. Uh, You know what's the craziest thing too? is that Amazon and Google actually have all that right. information. Like they mm-hmm. know how far you scroll down the screen. They, they yeah. know what you're looking at. They know what you clicked on. Yeah. They know everything. And it, it's yeah. like, it, it seems like such a small step to like give people like advertisers the opportunity to like look further into it. Like, yeah. where does my attribution fall? Does it, is this for, what is the first click? What's my middle clicks? What are my last mm-hmm. clicks? Like you guys know that. And like, you don't necessarily share it in a succinct way where I can like look at it and be like, how did this person get all the way through the funnel, right? Like they came in through the top, they went down to the bottom, like show me the steps. It's like, you know, I just need to know what they are so I can kind of try to replicate them, right? And it's like yeah. with these, with like because Google's like black box technology with like their performance max campaigns and like all this other stuff. Like they've created a way for you to kind of like believe in that system, but also like there's a, there's huge stepping stones that they don't like really go into. Mm-hmm. Like with, like they, like we talked about this earlier with brand campaigns, like branded keywords, they just use those like part of your performance max. And you're like, is there a version I can use performance max without those? And it's like, no, no, there's not. It's like, you have to like, yeah. yeah. It's like the amount of data that these companies have is monstrous. And I think that's part of the reason why we don't see it because if you were able to see it, it would like scare everybody. Uh, I always say like, uh, people that are like, oh, my phone's listening to me. If I'm talking about traveling to Greece, I'm going to see an Instagram ad for traveling to Greece. And I, I saw someone say, they don't need to listen to you. They already know that you're, that you're talking about traveling to Greece before you even said it. Um, I always thought that was interesting. Um, Because like, you're probably the funny thing that people don't think about is like, maybe they search for something in Greece recently. And then they thought to themselves, like, maybe I'll travel there. It's like, well, that's why it's like, you're giving them the signals to to tell them what they're trying to tell you. And it's like, it's like your brain system and the the input that you're giving Google or the input you're giving Amazon, like they're making, they're making decisions based off of all of your previous decisions. So it's like, yeah, you're right. Like they do know you in ways that like, you probably don't even know yourself. And it's, the interesting thing about it is like, I know that they don't want to give advertisers because people think of advertisers like in a negative like light. They're like, oh, these guys, they just figure out how to do all this stuff. Like, I don't want all these ads. And it's like, yeah, maybe you don't want all these ads. But at the same time, uh, like you might not and you may say that, but your your actions tell us otherwise. Your actions are actually telling us that you do do that and you do you do like these things because you keep getting ads for them and you are probably buying something off of it. And it's like, so like you're giving us like you're giving us or advertisers or even, you know, like Google and Amazon, you're giving them the wrong data. And it's like it all comes down to like these subsets of data where it's like 
the, the middle parts, right? Like I want to know what's inside the cake. I don't want to just see the outside of the cake. I want to know what's inside of it. Right. And it's like, and like, it's really tough when you're like, you're an advertiser and you're trying to like find extra insights that will give you like the key to unlocking your account. And you know that they have it and they just don't share it with you. Mm-hmm. And as a vendor too, like they, they do like these QBRs, for example, where they'll like go over a lot of data that you actually don't see. And they compare you to uh, different, they'll compare you to specific competitors that they won't tell you who they are. And they will compare you to competitors that they don't think that you are tracking. And they will do like a top 20% of people that are selling within this, you know, within this, uh, you know, specific category or specific segment. And they'll tell you like how you're doing comparatively to them. And you're like, okay, well, can I have that data? And they're like, no, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't need to know who it is. I just need to know like what units are they selling? Like, or like, n- like not that specific person, but like how many units are they selling overall? Like what's a benchmark for this type of thing? Like, is it 10,000 units? Is it 2000 units a month? Like wh- what is like a good metric for me to kind of hold myself against, you know, to say like whether I like, find out whether I, we're doing well or not doing well. And if there's a huge gap in that, it's like, that's where I can find the insights to say, what is, you know, what is it that my competitors are doing that I am not doing that will help us bring in massive sales in the next, you know, two, three months. And it's like, they don't really give you like a lot of that data that they have and that they know and that they could share with you, but they don't. And it's like, and you're just kind of like sitting like not in the dark, but you have like, it's like a lightning, like lightning strikes and you see the whole picture for like one second and you're trying to make, you know, you try to like paint a picture off of the one second of what you saw. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a really difficult way of looking at data because you're like, ah, oh, geez, I, if I had like the sun out, I'd be able to see this all the time, the way that it's actually yeah. there. And like even even Amazon and Google have a hard time like looking at that data and, and synthesizing it, which is why I'm saying I think that, you know, within the next few years of AI, like they've got to figure out a way to, to do this at some point. Someone will have cracked the code by then and been like, oh, my gosh, this is the insight you guys need. Here's your first action attribution. Here's your last action attribution. Here's all the attributes in between. Like they clicked on your competitor product and they came to you. Then they saw this. They saw all these brand defense campaigns. And it's like, oh my gosh, like that's how they came here. Like I would have never guessed that, that that was the reason. But it's like at the end of the day, they ended up there because they clicked on some ad that you had. And that's the last attribution you got. And that's the one that it'll say that was the thing that they did. And it's like, yeah, but before that, I don't know any of that data, but they do. And I'd like to know what that is because I think it's, genuinely helpful for me to not necessarily beat other advertisers, but to figure out what we're doing wrong and like what other, what are, what are customers looking for that we're not providing? Like at the end of the day, like it's all about the end user, right? Like we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what end users are doing. Like we're trying to figure out what they want. So we're trying to do what they want. And it's not exactly a, a one-to-one because like a lot of your, your, your users are doing one thing and saying a different thing. And then they're also telling you like through their actions that they're doing different things. And so like, you couldn't even ask like a person on a survey, like, Hey, how do you shop on Amazon? They'd be like, I, they wouldn't be able to accurately depict it, but Amazon can. And so that's what I'm saying is like, that's what I'm hoping for. Like, I'm hoping for that one day to just give us some of that, some of that data. And then again, if there is a data GPT that we could just like throw everything into, and it just synthesizes data across all these different points. Like, Hey, have you looked at this ASIN lately? I'm like, no, no, I haven't. Uh, there's just mm-hmm. 15,000 plus ASINs for me to look at like uh, 20,000. I could never have known that this one ASIN just yeah. needed some help, you know? Maybe one day. Maybe one, one day, day soon. Yeah. We, can, we can only hope. And then I can give that insight to you, and then you can tell me how I can advertise it better. Like, we can just start focusing on the ones that it spits out. Like, yeah, it'll, it'll happen eventually, I think. Well, Adam, we ran the gamut on vendors. I think there's actually more to ask and talk about with vendors. Um, mm-hmm. Future episode, hopefully. Uh, Adam, I didn't even mention, I love tech. I love your color changing microphone. Uh, I'm, oh, uh, yep. I, I'm looking at mine that does not do that. And I'm feeling very um, inadequate. So, do you know where you can get one? Tell me. Amazon. There you go. Amazon, they have them there. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. they, have, they have so much stuff on Amazon. Yes. Uh, have a good one. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Hey there. Thanks for making it to the end of the show. As you can see on my screen, this is AdBadger's software tool that we use to optimize Amazon PPC campaigns that you can go and check out at the link in the description. Uh, We would love to personally show you around, uh, answer questions, hear your feedback. Uh, We're really proud of the tool that we built over the last few years. Uh, We've been working on it since 2017, and I do believe that it gets better quarter after quarter, month over month. We're constantly adding and upgrading 
and improving it. Um, so you can head over to the link in the description, sign up for a demo of our tool, and you can get all kinds of things like nightly advanced bit optimizations, a algorithm that I've worked on personally for years that I'm really proud of. So go ahead, check it out. Badger's bite, but we don't. And I'll see you inside the Badger Den.